0: Runners, what's happening? Welcome back to another episode of The Running Podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything running, the highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and everything in between. My name is Lloyd. I'll be your host for today's episode, and I'm excited to be welcoming Nike Pro 355 miler David Ribic to the show today, live from Portland in Oregon. Now, on today's show, we sit down with David and we talk about his move from Brooks to Nike, and the Union Athletic Club under new coach Pete Julian. His relationship with Josh Kerr and how their bromance blossomed. And the transition he's making from the 1500 metres to the steeplechase. Now if you do want to follow along with what we're doing at Trackster and this podcast. Please do head over to Instagram and drop us a follow. And you can also check out our website Trackster.com, Where we're putting all of our longer form content from our YouTube channel. And you can register for our running newsletter so you can keep up to date with all the world's running news. And of course, you can find the podcast episodes there too. Now, if you do want to support this show, please do leave us a review, which is now available on all platforms. So without further ado, welcome to the show, David Ribich. All right. Welcome to the show, David. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, welcome. Absolutely welcome. Thanks for, thanks for giving us your time. Uh, where are you at the moment in the world and um, what time is it?
1: Uh, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and it is a brisk seven eleven in the morning, so seven, just uh, the first I, I person I'm talking to of the day is you. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been awake? Um, half hour. Oh just, uh, I, I had to wake up, make my tea, you know, brush my teeth, put my contacts in, kind of start the day, but yeah, I texted, uh, texted the account, and I was just like, hey, we still good for seven, and they're like, that's good with you, and I'm like, yeah, that's, I mean, I, th- I think Alfie runs that, but I was like... Uh, I was like, yeah, we're good for 7, but I was just team hoping that he'd send off like a
0: seven thirty 8, 8 a.m. But, you know, here we are. We made it. No, I appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, that's Alfie. He Does all that sort of things. I just did the talking stuff. Yeah, the easy bit. Nice. But, um, yeah, Portland, Oregon. Oh, mate, I'd love to go there. It's been a pipe dream of mine to, to get over there. It's, it's almost like, you probably take it for granted now because, you know, you're living it. But over here, that's like the mecca of running. It, it, it seems like such a pipe. Yeah the guy and from your from your perspective what is it like living there
1: uh it's it's interesting because it's i grew up on the east side of oregon so like portland to me was like this also this mecca and also this like super pipe dream thing of like every time i would drive across the state and go to portland i'd be like wide-eyed and big of like highways and people and like activities and things to do um but now that i live here yeah i I certainly take it for granted on kind of the things that portland has to offer from a running perspective i don't want to like ruin your pipe dream but like there's not a whole lot of good runs like not a lot of you know like you think of like Saint Moritz you think of like flagstaff like portland doesn't have that portland has like a few good runnable city routes that we do um but a lot of the stuff that i do personally is just in Be- beaverton at the nike world headquarters that's that's kind of the spot that we normally do runs but portland does itself i think it's a really great spot you know it's not humid it has seasons it's like 85 right now it's been 85 for the last like week so we're kind of in like that summer series of 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 weather and um yeah i mean portland is great um trying to find houses right now so i can tell you the housing market's a good apartment market i'm not buying a house but yeah a lot of people moving in a lot of people moving out so it's just a good place to be
0: awesome man awesome so let's get straight into it david so let's go back to the start um for anyone that's not aware that you know our uk audience or any of our worldwide audience aren't isn't aware Where did your journey start with sport and at which point did that transition into athletics and track? Okay. Yeah. Um, You didn't want to start like, you know, on this
1: night I was conceived and I kind of, you know, pushed forward. Like my parents kind of, you know, brought me into this world. I was a young baby kind of thing. You don't want there. You want to go like when I got sport. Well, it depends on how interested those first early years were. <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really know those first early years, but I know that I'm uh, nine months after I was born nine months after both my dad and my mom's birthday, so I'm kind of, you know, I have a little bit of trauma with that concept. But um, we'll just, we'll just start with athletics. We'll, we'll just go there. Let's go for it, um, Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so for uh, yeah, for athletics, like I went to a really small school, uh, like my high school. Um, do you guys call it high school in the UK? I don't know if that's a stupid question. What do you guys
0: call it? We do have a high school, but a high school over here is um, free the, the school before college, but it's just for girls, a high school. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is, what do you guys call it? I suppose we do call it high school. If, yeah. I don't fucking know man. There's so many names. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, school. So I went, I went to, yeah, I guess I'll still say high school.
1: I went to high school. Um, in a really small town where like there's 118 kids in my entire high school. And then there's only 30 kids in my graduating class. And I'm sure if if you know who I am, or if um, you've clicked this podcast link, because you kind of know my story, this is going to sound like a little bit of broken record. But for those that don't know, um, yeah, I went to a really small school. Um, They didn't offer any other sports at my high school other than cross country in the fall or football and you know the american sport of football not not the cool football this is the the brutal bash your heads into each other football and most runners and and most guys with my frame don't necessarily succeed in that sport you know so um my mom pretty much gave me an ultimatum she said you're either going to run or you're going to find a different activity to do but you won't play football so you know i couldn't i couldn't be a jock i couldn't enter the cool kid circle it's just running was kind of that in for me and My first like real sport love was soccer, but because it wasn't offered beyond, I think like being 13 years old, um, I had, I had to find something else to do. Um, and so I just went to running, um, won my first race, like that feeling. And I go, okay, this, this is the start of something really cool. And so I, um, I stayed with the same high school coach through, um, all four years, never tracked mileage, probably did maybe 25, 30 miles a week. Had decent high school PRs, but I was pretty underdeveloped. So my senior year of high school, my eight hundred PR was two of three, like ninety-nine, four ten for the fifteen hundred. So that's like a four twenty-seven, four twenty-eight mile PR. Um, eight fifty-seven for the three K, and then fifteen fifty for the five K. So like good ish times, but that would get that would get wiped the floor in, in terms of like a national level. So um went to a small division two university in oregon as well um didn't really know the concept of the ncaa like i toured schools but didn't really know like the separation and national championships and all that thing so went to a small division two school um and found immediate success uh kind of with that coach a i developed b he kind of got to see who i was and kind of see what i was capable of and he would only push me as far as i could go each stint like i think he knew what the end game was for me and where my end potential was but he didn't let that kind of rush me early in the freshman year of college so we we set up a plan like so i won so my freshman year of college i ran 156 and a um 350 for 1500 413 for the mile 15 flat for the 5k and like 830 for the 3k so already seeing like a massive jump of an improvement um, from like a developmental perspective, from a confidence perspective, from like, okay, this is racing. This is racing at a bigger level um, feeling. So, um, and then after my freshman year of college, he had me go in for a four-year goal plan where he said, okay, he's like, write your goals for each of the four years and I'll do my best to facilitate that. So I wrote my sophomore year goals, junior, senior. And I think I ended my senior year goals with like becoming a division II all All-American. Um, and he, I remember he scratched that out and said like, national champion he's like i really think you could be a national champion so immediately when i was young uh as a freshman he didn't like force that pipe dream for me he, he more so like instilled it in me that like hey you are capable of doing this so what we did was we, like we moved all-american like further back on the list of like no you can do this but if we can do that we're gonna do x and so rolling around my sophomore year of college i end up getting fourth in the indoor mile fifth in the outdoor 1500 so kind of already hit that all-american piece And I ran 343 in the 1500. So again, seeing another massive jump, but what was really cool and kind of the point of the story of my collegiate success was after my sophomore year, I went in to write my four year plan again, but I was like, oh, I'm a sophomore. So I only need to write my junior and my senior year plan. Well, then my college coach, um, he goes, no, he's like four years. So he's like next year, your senior year, and then two years after college. And then I would go back my junior year. Okay. Next year, your senior year and then three years after college. And then when I finished my collegiate career, even though I wasn't going to be coached by him, and at this point, I'd signed a contract with Brooks. Um, I'd um, already had an agent. I was already moving forward. Like, knew we weren't going to work together. He still had me go to his office and write that four-year goal plan. Um, COVID wasn't a part of that four-year plan. You know, that that, that never uh, fit my schedule. But... Um, It allowed me to kind of put these longer term perspective goals in where like, I want to accomplish these things now, but I also need to be patient and understanding that like, these things will take time and progress. And so in hindsight, I haven't really accomplished a lot of my goals from a professional perspective. But now that I'm in a new programming here uh, in Portland and with Nike and UAC, I actually feel like those four years when I was with my previous sponsor, Brooks, um, those were setting me up for times like this, this this is when I feel like that progression is going to be made, and that and those goals are ultimately going to be or not going to be achieved, not because of a lack of effort, or not because of a lack of racing or experience from a coach or an athlete perspective. Just it wasn't in the cards, and I can live with that. But it's it's really interesting now looking back, kind of through that whole process. And and uh, if you guys are curious about the process, I documented my senior year of college uh, from the day I made USA Championships for the first time um, to the day I signed a professional contract. So it's like a full, full three, I don't know how many days, probably like three three 30. Cause it was from like end of June to the start of June. Um, documented my entire senior year of college, every race, every practice, every workout, every mentality shift, every literally it has everything. Um, and it's really informal too. It's not supposed to be the super high class. Like, you know, you read like Des Linden's books of like born to run or not born to run, sorry, uh, choosing to run. It's not like that. It's not it's not a New York Times. It's like a self-published journal on Amazon. So that's called Small School Big Dreams. So if you're really curious about that division two process, that is there for for uh taking, I guess.
0: Yeah, I saw that. I when I was doing research before this episode, I saw that you you had that book on Amazon. I didn't even know that was a thing. I think it'd be so cool if more athletes did that. Um, especially mm-hmm. with it being such a pinnacle point in your development. One question I wanted to ask just from that previous section was you said about setting four-year goals and always updating those goals as you go uh even if you and your coach maybe work in a different way now do you still behind the scenes set those four-year goals for yourself i do i i do the hardest part about um i think that this the
1: stuff that i'm trying to bring in off the track for like journaling or goal setting like as fun as that publishing that journal was it definitely was a bit um is it def- definitely a bit much because I had to then what ended up happening when I published it was, and, I, and I'm so thankful that I did cause it's helped a lot of people. But for me personally, like I, it's really tough for me to journal now. It's really tough for me to kind of do that more like introspective thinking on my running because I felt like I did it for a year straight. And then for the next six months I edited all my thoughts. So then I literally like was like reliving decisions. I'm like, did I make the right one? Like on Tuesday I said this, but on Thursday I ended up doing this. So now like journaling i still journal pretty regularly at least a couple times a week and a lot of times what happens is i catch up through the week but what i have found is the more stable and the more comfortable i feel in like my outside surrounding scenarios the more likely i am to goal set and the more likely i am to journal so like in the last like two months i have felt really really balanced where i'm at so i feel really confident and comfortable being able to put my thoughts down and when i was at western oregon university I was in a really safe place. So it was really easy for me to journal, you know, like everything was kind of set up for me to succeed from an athletic and an academic perspective. And I'm starting to feel that same way here again with UAC and Nike, where I do feel like things are getting set up and made for me to, to succeed. And it's showing in workouts, it's showing in races, it's showing in everything. So now it's like, now my goal setting feels a lot more realistic and tangible because I'm seeing that progress being made every single day. Like, oh, I can definitely do this. Like I could definitely run 333.5 or 334 at the end of the summer. Do I believe that? I do believe that. I do believe that there's going to be a good jump in the 1500 just from where I'm at right now. But ultimately, like I would say that in this transition process, I'm not trying to put down like, you will run 335 this summer. I'm more like, you will be competitive in a fast front-end race. I'm like, it, leaving it super vague, super open, because at the end of the day, what I need to do is... My goal setting is so much more metaphorical now because I need to just take care of that moment. I don't need to worry about running 335 because, sorry, 333.5 because what will happen and what has happened to me in the past with goal setting is I get really hung to that goal and I go, I need to run 335 or I need to run 333.5 and we go 300 and like 157 and then in the race, I'm like, this isn't it. And then I'm pulled out and I'm drawn away and it's gone. So for me now, my goal setting more is like super actionable things that I can do to try to achieve those goals. More like at 800 meters past one person, yeah. Then I do that, and then I'm in a better position, and then I'm engaged, and then I run really well. And that's kind of where I'm at now. So I still do my four-year goal setting. Like I know where I'm at from pretty much here until 2027. You know, like I know what I want to do. Whether I do those things, who knows? But I at least do feel like I'm taking the right actions and steps to achieve those goals. And that's the bigger focus for me right now is doing those things in between today and the day that i could achieve something
0: i want to read you a quote from a podcast episode that you did with sitius sitius are a big inspiration for us at Trackster, and uh, well i think a lot of uh, a lot of people in the uk but i want to read you this quote and then i'm going to ask you a question off the back of it so the quote is uh, i had to look at myself in the mirror this whole fall and ask why the hell am i doing this still i could make more money doing something else It's about a childhood dream that I want to pursue at this point in my career, at this point in my career for myself. My question to you, David, is when you hear that quote back, is this a mindset that you're constantly in or does it come and go with the undulating world of being a pro athlete?
1: That's a good good quote, good question to kind of bring up and put me on the spot with, because I really thought you were gonna draw from like, sit and kick or something like that, you know? Like, (laughs) I, I didn't even think, I was like, I know I've said some dumb stuff over that podcast. So I was like, I'm going to get hit with something, but that's, that's a good one. And I think that's applicable still to me today. And it's funny. Actually, I'm meeting with Chris and Kyle later today. So I'll make sure they, they get a good awesome. notice that tracks keeps tabs on them. But
0: um, do you want to read me the quote one more time? Just so yeah, I can sure. can kind of bring it back. So I had to look at myself in the mirror this whole fall and ask, why the hell am I doing this still? I could make more money doing something else. It's about a childhood dream that I want to pursue at this point in my career for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I definitely have that every day,
1: you know, like I still, I still think about that every day and it's not even that like, it's not even, it's like, it's about the money aspect, but like for me, like when I was looking at this fall, like just if you're unaware of my story, so it's like I was with Brooks for four years and I was really consistently inconsistent with my performances. And so for me, like coming from a a position of success in high school and college and going to a programming at the professional level where one week I would run close to my best. And then one week I'd run very, very far from it. I would just pretty much being like up, down, up, down, inconsistent. And it was just like rattling me. It was just like, what is going on? Like trainings there, everything's there, but why is this not happening? And I would always step away and I'd run a little bit better and I'd always run better in like July and August at the end of the year. And this past summer I failed to make the USA final in the 1500 after making the Olympic trials final the year prior. And so I'm like, what the heck? So then I told my coach like, all right, well, let's like shut it down for a week or two. And I was like, no, I was like, I need to keep racing. Like I need to keep going after this. And this is a long winded answer to what that quote is, but this is, this is going to help explain it. So I, I said, no, I need to keep racing. So kind of talking about that goal thing that I was saying previously, like I raced a road mile. My only goal for that road mile was just put in a hard effort to get ready for the next weekend. Like I really want to just exert myself. So I did, didn't run a great road mile, but I ran it. Then the next week I ran like three thirty eight and the 15, my goal was to finish top three, I finished third. Then the next week I had a 1500 and I was like, this is the one that I want to go after. Okay. You just raced to a top three finish. You just exerted yourself in the road mile. You just ran USA prelims. You know what racing feels like. Like, put yourself in a good position to succeed. Then that week, I ran 3:35, and that was a PB by a second. So, so when it comes to that quote, what ended up happening this fall was I was actually with Josh Kerr, you know, Scottish UK hero, you know, the the best 1500 meter in the world, right? 1500 meter runner in the world, and him and I were golfing, and I asked him to be my wedding. And then, and I told him I was like, "Hey, like, I'm getting married this year, or I guess it was a year from then." I was like, "I'm getting married in a year, like, you and I." And I was like, "Our friendship on the day to day level is pish, right? Like, we don't got we don't got much to say to each other on the normal day to day basis. But highs and lows, whether it be Tokyo or weddings or you know, mourning or whatever, like, we're very very involved with one another. And very very keep. I guess we keep each other in check because I think we understand the highs and lows of kind of some of the things that we go through." So I told him, I was like, I want you to be there for a high. I want you to be there at my wedding. And um the next day, I actually I was already kind of torn whether or not I wanted to try to leave Brooks. So like my agent knew that we at the end of the year we had a one year or we had two one year options. So Brooks could choose to resign me, but my agent negotiated a dual party option. So we could choose to not resign the option as well. It was a really, really great dynamic that I was hoping that we would be able to have like negotiations about. Um, and I wasn't really sure if I wanted to stay with Brooks truthfully, because of those inconsistent, inconsistent, those consistent inconsistencies. So I asked Josh to be at my wedding. And then the next day I get a call from sports marketing person at the time at Brooks and essentially was kind of released, uh, from Brooks and the, the carpet was pulled out from under me. I was already thinking those decisions were coming together, but now all of a sudden the decision was made for me. So when that quote comes together that, that from last fall, the things that I was battling with and still battle with, you know, it's it's not easy still that as everything is coming together. Um, lost my sponsor. Um, I was getting married in a year. I'll have to relocate. As of right now, I don't have a contract or job or anything. So all these things that were just like huge question and bubble marks for me. So I got like, I mean, that fall was like, a really really big self-reflection because I was like okay I don't have a sponsor let me make a resume let me see what I can do beyond track and field so I did a resume my fiance she works in HR she's really good with that type of stuff so she helped me and I get done at the end of the day and I'm like I go out on like LinkedIn and I go onto like Glassdoor and I'm these aren't ads we're not sponsored by LinkedIn here but I go on LinkedIn thousands of jobs thousands of jobs I could probably do And make more money than normal contracts in track and field. Like, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Merber or Pat Casey that tweeted, like, years ago that was, like, your favorite professional track and field athlete is probably broke. You know, like, not saying that I'm, yeah, not saying that I'm broke, but there's definitely not the same market for track and field professionalism as it is for any other sport. And that's a totally different rabbit hole. But for me, I'm like, okay, why do I want to do this still? And for me, it was believing in and trying to achieve that childhood childhood dream for me not even child hush child ish sorry that that dream that i had when i was a little kid you know i went to the 2012 olympic trials and i got autographs from guys that i compete against now and i went to the 2016 trials a little bit older watched people make the team there so i'm like this has always been a part of my plan but it's just it got a little bit rocky and rough so for me being released from a contract and then being picked up by uac and nike it was like Okay, one door closed, the other opened. And when I was speaking with Pete Julian about kind of coming on board, he was like, "Well, why did you get released?" He's like, "You ran 335, you ran 355. You made the trials finally." He's like, "What's the standard of success that they they need you to need to keep you?" And I ta- I was like, "I don't know." So he's like, "There's a spot for you. If you want the spot, it's yours." So then I knew that for a couple months and I really had to take a time of like, "Okay, is this what I want to do?" And it all came together. And I'm happy that me and Pete connected as early as we did because I still look in the mirror and kind of think of those, those things, especially now that like I am, we are moving. Like I, I've been, I've toured nine places this month uh, or sorry, this week trying to find an apartment to live down here. Cause I'm still living at my in-laws, you know, I'm just, I'm bumming around cause I don't want to double lease. And, but it's like it. And, and normally people that don't have like a six figure deal say this, but like, it's not about the money at this point. It's like, if, if I get to a position where like I'm financially set through the sport for the rest of my career, great. If not, I'm, I'm in it for the, I'm in it for the sport. I'm in it for the love. I'm in it for, because I want to just prove myself right. It's never going to be about proving anybody else wrong, but I want to prove myself right. And so far coming to this team, I've felt more empowered and capable than I've ever had before knowing that like I have so much work to do because now I'm surrounded and this is not the separation of class between, UAC and Brooks, but I'm surrounded by literally every guy on our team here at UAC has done it. Donovan Brazier, American record holder, world champion, Noah Cabet, indoor world silver medalist, outdoor Kenyan team maker, uh, Amos Bartelsmeier, German record holder in the mile, uh, German Olympian, Charlie Hunter, Australian Olympian, 800 meter runner, 1500 meter runner. He's made the world and uh, uh, Olympic team. All the guys that I train with, they're literally there. I'm the only guy on the team that has not made a major team. So for me, like, I'm my number one priority is to learn and and grow and build with this group. And I have already and I know that and I'm surrounded by women like Raven Rogers, Sinclair Johnson, you know, like these people are absolute assassins on the track. And so for me, like, I look in the mirror now because I'm like, yo, you're in the best place that you can succeed and you know it now. And I do feel that. And that confidence and that reassurance makes this place really, really safe for me. And that consistent inconsistency, I haven't had that. Even though I'm racing a little bit different races now, I have yet to have a race since I've put on this uniform that I'm not proud of. Because every single race that I've had has been a build to the next. And I ran 744 for indoors. And that was a six-second PB after I hadn't PB'd in the 3K for four years. And the first 3K I really go after, we run six seconds faster than my PB. And I get third in the race, nearly winning it. And I get done. I walk off. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, this is sick. Then I go to USA's. I finish fifth in the three K the next day I finish fifth in the 1500. And I'm like, I'm not winning. I'm not podiuming at these USA championships, but I'm closer than I've ever been. And I'm seeing these airs and these, these races as you made this tactical mistake. It's no longer like, like you're out of it mentally or what's going on. Like I know exactly what's going on and that's what we get to work on. And that's, what's exciting. So when I look in the mirror and tell myself like, you're doing this for that 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 dream and you're doing this because you you want to like oh man i'm i'm fu- i'm fired up like I, I want this so bad and this group that i'm in i know pete wants this so bad for me like him and i him and i get in supportive yelling matches of him just saying like this is this is world class what you're doing right now and you have to aod is what he says like you have to you have to adapt or die like this is this is what you have to do and we're doing workouts that are sick. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting done with the session and I'm absolutely rocked. And I, I, but I see where Amos finishes just a little bit ahead of me. And I go, that's crazy. Like He's, he's ready to roll, but I'm right there. And we did that. We did a workout like on Tuesday, that was like that. And then three weeks prior to Tuesday, we did a the same workout and it was slower and I was pumped about it. And now we just did it again. And it was faster. And I'm like, ah, got a little bit more. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is about this energy that I kind of feel with this group, like, but I'm excited. And I'm like, from a life perspective, like, like I said, moving, getting married, changing teams, changing city, literally everything. There's so much newness to me, like changing weight protocol, everything with like, not weight protocol as in my body weight, weight as in gym. Um, yeah. And I, and I see the top left uh, as well on it. Um like I'm going through such an adaptation right now in my life where Pete even said, he's like, you might not PR this entire year. He said that in January. He's like, you might run this entire year, not PRing, but we're going to get you in races. You're going to get competitive and we're going to make you into the athlete that you know you are. And I believe it. And I'm already feeling it. And I'm making progress quicker in some areas and a little bit slower in others. But, um, it just, it's exciting for me to be honest. Like I've been sore like my my March and April were the hardest months I think of my pro career because I was just sore 24 seven. Like after I'd been running for since October, I was like, I'm five months into training and I'm still wrecked. Uh, This doesn't make any sense to me. So, but we're putting in work We're putting in hard work and I feel like I'm out of that now. Um, And so when I look at that quote from the fall, if, if I could look in, if I could look in the mirror now here, let me, let me make sure I word this right. If fall me were to look in the mirror then and in the mirror, I would tell myself where I'm at right now. All my worries and doubts would disappear because at this point of my career, like I want it so bad. And I feel like I'm so close that this, this is track and field for me. This is the professional sport of track and field. This, this grind, this desire, like this, this is, this is where it's made for me. And so If it comes together in the next two years, great. If it doesn't come together in the next two years, that's okay because I have a four-year plan and I feel closer than ever to achieving that. Um, So yeah, that's a long-winded answer to that, but that's kind of where I'm at. I still think that holds true and I think everyone needs to kind of do those self-checks because if you stop self-checking, then you kind of lose yourself. And I think I lost myself a little bit because I wasn't journaling. I wasn't looking in the mirror asking myself those tough questions. The only time I asked myself that tough question was when the situation was tough for me. So- now that I feel better about it, um, yeah, still pertinent to me, but feel a lot more confident, kind of not slouching my shoulders in the mirror, but kind of like rolling back, like nodding, like, yeah, this is it. So yeah. there you go.
0: I've read a lot about your move to USC uh, and how it's very much... Hopefully not on the
1: hopefully not on the toxic sites,
0: huh? Uh, well, unfortunately, man, it's my job to read everything. Um, but... <laughs> A smart man is the one that uh, knows which ones to read and which ones to think. That's a lot of shit, so don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've read a lot about it, and I feel that me—I mean, me and Alfie were chatting about it when it ha- when the move happened, and we chatted about it before this episode, and we both agreed that, in my opinion, it was probably one of the most clutch moves in the distance circuit at the time. Um, but what I want to understand is—is is that. Do you feel that you, before when you was with Brooks, you were a little bit more confined than you wanted to be? And is this now an opportunity for you to express the person who you really are through your athletics? Yeah, I think so. Um,
1: And, and that's not, and again, like I never want anything. And I've said this on other podcasts that I've been on. I never want my conversation in my career to be comparison, comparing, UAC to Brooks, that's never, that's never my end goal with this. It's always just me self-reflecting. Yeah. So every experience will be different for any athlete. But for me personally, where I'm at now, um, mentally, physically, and everything, I do feel as though I can be more expressive in my athletics. I, I can't expand and I can really push in and practices and things like that. Like there was a sense of confinement for me personally, um, where I was, but I think some of that came from um, a little bit of insecurities for me being almost in that, like, um, uh, what's it? Imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Almost trying to, like, I, I can see, like, Josh. I can see the Josh, the things that Josh is doing. And him and I, at, at the end of my time with Brooks, Josh and I were the only two really doing, like, longer aerobic work together. Like, we did, like, a workout at Altitude that was sick. It was, like, 12 by um, 12 by 400 at 61 with 60 second rest. Like that's cool. Nice. Well now on Tuesday we did eight by 800 with two minute rest averaging 201. So it's like, now we're really pressing that envelope, you know, like now we're getting there. And so for me, I think that what it was, I think I was just always on the tip of that precipice with Brooks where I was almost able to do it, but I couldn't. And whether that be physicality, whether that be mentally, whether it be whatever, but now I feel like we've really blown that out of the water here because Pete says, you're weak in the gym. We need you to get more stable on, on your, like your sides, your legs, literally everything. Like I did my first workout with Pete in January and he goes, I'm going to be honest, you hit the splits, but you looked really weak. And I go, all right, like we're starting from zero. So then I go into the gym and Dave McHenry, who I think is one of the best physical therapists in the sport, if not the best, you look at the resume of athletes he's worked with. Um, he hands me my own personal sheet to strengthen myself. Charlie's doing his own thing. Um, at the time, Centro was in uh, Arizona with us. He was doing his own thing. I was doing my own thing. But we kind of like cross paths on some things. But I was like, wow, this is mine. This, this is for me. Yeah. And every, every time I do a core exercise, Dave would walk by and he's like, breathe, David breathe. Cause I'm like holding my breath. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh. And in the gym on Tuesday, Dave's like, Hey, look at us. We're having a whole conversation. And we were, we were just chatting. I was in a side plank. I was doing these activities, but I was talking through it. And I get, it's like the coolest thing about where I'm at now is I can see, and I believe in the growth that I'm making because it's literally happening in front of me, but I don't think that those games are going to be made and, su- and seen now. I think that this will be more like a two year plan because you don't adapt that quickly to these changes, but man, like I did a race the other week, and my best friend who's seen me race since high, or since college goes, he's like, dude, you didn't have that, that back and forth motion. He's like, you were so linear moving forward. So for me, I think what it is at UAC compared to Brooks is I just feel like in this corner, I have Pete riding these workouts that are crazy, that are great, great crazy, training that's crazy, but also really, really respectful to where I'm at physically. Like I have an off day this week. That's sick. I get to take it. I don't have to long run. I get to take a day off. Then I have Dave in the gym, maximizing my potential for stability and strength and helping my weaknesses. Um, and then I have a team of athletes around me that like, this is their all in. This, this is this is where they want to be and what they want to do. And if they don't want to be, they'll just go do whatever they want. Um, so here I am, like in this location where everyone's in it and I get to be a part of that. So it's like, I have no other reason than to believe in myself and also be all in because that's just the nature of where we are, so yeah. Um, I think that this is the. If I were to like really, not like talk highly of it, but like I really do think this is going to be the start of my pro career. Like this is where I can hopefully make grounds and and, and make moves um, in races because if I could retire here, that would be my goal. I, I don't want to. I don't want this to be another stepping stone elsewhere. I want this to be the end game.
0: We had a bit of nightmare there, David, with the old technical technical issues. Um... My message going into your requests folder, which basically means that we should should be following you cover on Instagram. What's going on? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see this success of this episode. So we'll let
1: uh, the viewers and the fans decide whether or not you're rightful of that. So um, maybe just screenshot how many people listen, and
0: uh, if it's over like five people, I'll probably give you give you a shout. I love that. So yeah, actually, the last thing we were just chatting about. set up at UAC and um, what's changed for you from a mindset perspective, but also the tools that you've got around you now with your coach, your strength and conditioning set up, the athletes around you creating that environment. One question I wanted to ask you was, can you talk us through uh, what does your training look like now under Pete? Um, Yeah. You know, your general week or where you're at right now with your training for our listeners so they can understand what you really do and at what level.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, one, I don't think that there's – I always, like, preface when I explain what I do. It's it's very similar to, like, mentality or situations or wherever you go to school, run, very individualized, right? So, like, like I never want to say, like, you should – if I do this, you should do this. That's not – that's never the case for me. So, like, right now, I've been trying to do – like, I'll just give you – since I'm new to the program, I, I've got a good idea of kind of that progression that I've gone through. We started really slow through January doing like 70, 75 miles a week. We go through February doing 80, 85 miles a week. Um, And then through pretty much all of March, we were able to hit 85, 90s. Um, And then we brought it back down to 85s through April. And now we're kind of dancing between, depending on a race week, maybe it's like literally 60, maybe it's 80. Depends. Like last week was 86. This week will probably be around 84. Next week will probably be like 60. So from a mileage perspective, it, it really depends on where we are for the race or for the training block. Um, but it's, it's really, really simple compared to, or not compared to, it's very simple, just like most training where, you know, you work out on a Tuesday. I don't know if people work out on Tuesdays. I feel like in the US, that's norm, the normal scheduling is you work out Tuesday, you cover day Wednesday, normal run day Thursday, you work out Friday, recovery day Saturday, your long run Sunday you run a recovery run on monday workout tuesday so it's like this two time a week type schedule but what i really like about pete um is there's a lot of flexibility like last week we i raced on saturday so i long ran on monday and then i worked out on wednesday and then i worked out on friday and then i got back on my normal routine so like last week was kind of hard kind of heavy because it was like two workouts in 48 well wednesday to friday and then I long run on Monday, but then I ended my week last week with a long run on Sunday. So I did like kind of two long runs in that week with two workouts really close together. But now coming into this week, we're back on the normal routine of Tuesday, Friday, Sunday. So,
0: okay. Yeah, that's quite, that's quite common across the U.S. Stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. What to. And a lot of groups over here actually have taken that on because um, when I was sort of a teenager, it's common that we over in the UK, it would be Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday workouts mm-hmm. and then Sunday long run. Um, yeah. When I went to university in London, I switched straight to Tuesday Friday workouts, and I much prefer yeah. it because yeah. Yeah, you've got an extra day of recovery in between. Really, yeah, absolutely, exactly. So the group itself, UAC, the group dynamics changed quite quite drastically recently with a few departures yeah. like Coco, Jess, Hull, and Craig Engels changing their setups. Does that mm-hmm. affect you, or are you in your own lane even within that team environment? Yeah, so well a few things I can't really speak on the dynamics of the team previously with because all three of
1: those members were on the team. Like I've never crossed paths with any of them from a teammate perspective. Um but I know that moving the team's constantly moving forward and but as are those individual athletes. And I think that there's that uh maybe not communication but commonality between athletes and coach and teams and things like that. Like just wanted and I'm not going to speak for them in, entirely on on the situation but like like Jess wanted to stay in Australia. She just got married. You know, she had done a long stint in the U S um, and she's still running brilliantly well. And like, I sent her a message before Doha, just saying like, good luck and things like that. Cause we did exchange like contacts there. And so it, it but it's really interesting because it is such a, not like we're told to stand our own lane, but we really are in our own lane within the team. Like there's sometimes where Amos and I won't cross path, like literally we'll do a workout. My pace will be like, David, you're running 4:55 for this tempo. Amos, you can go down to 4:45, or you can go down to 4:50. Like literally a five second spread, and like he'll be like, "Oh, do you want us to just meet in the middle?" Pete's like, "No, you go. Do you you do yours? Dave will do his." So it's it's kind of that same way. I would say that in the dynamic between athletes and coaches, like we all are this one team, and and we, I do actually feel like we're very unified in that way. No pun intended with being union, um, but like those departures don't affect. Our team because our team is moving forward and like that's the thing like when I and like I love Craig like Craig and I shoot texts all the time back and forth together um so this isn't like a knock to him at all but when when he depart I already knew he departed because personally him and I were friends so I knew he was leaving the team before I even was getting recruited by it and when Pete told me that Craig was leaving I I already knew and that was more, it was more attractive for me to come to the team then because I knew and I saw what the team needed and what the team needed was they had at this point, no American male other than Donovan. And I'm not saying I'm trying to fit the shoes of Craig Angles because I can't, because I, I can't grow a mustache as well. I can't grow hair as well. You know, I'm not as fast. Like there's a lot of things I'm not as Craig, uh, but what I do think I am is I do think I'm a good filler for that position where, Okay. Pete's going to bring in a 20 at the time, 26, I'm 27. Now a 26 year old athlete that's had a Rocky professional career has shown a lot of success in the past, but let me like for Pete, this is me speaking from Pete's perspective, which he's never said to me, but I'm imagining this, what Pete says, let me make this guy really good. Yeah. So now Pete has a 27 year old athlete who's just ran 744 in the three K, which is, I think now like baseline where I could be. He's going to run X time in the fifteen, X time in the steeple. We're going to push his envelope. Hopefully, make teams. And what I hope that does is it shows how good of a coach Pete is because he is a good coach. And people see, wow, like college kids, international kids, or athletes. I shouldn't say kids because they're tw- in their twenties or whatever. They'll see that success from from me and be like, not only can he coach Noah Cabet, who's twenty years old and one Milrose, you know, went undefeated indoors. He could also coach an athlete that's later in their career, like David, to run World Standard Times, PRs, make teams, whatever. So the departure of those athletes is, I would say, in a way from from an outside and a performance perspective, sad, because those three athletes are like powerhouse athletes. But I don't necessarily think that will affect us negatively moving forward, because I think there's going to be more potential for growth for the entire team and any prospect that we bring on. So, yeah. The sig, man.
0: Okay, let's talk about uh, a relationship that I'm a fan of, and a lot of track fans are, and that's the bonds you have with, uh, as in your words, the uh, what was it you called Josh Kerr? How did you describe him? Uh, a, a, like our friendship, like our official friendship, day
1: to day, or what? I have a lot of, of nicknames that the, I have for him.
0: Early on in this conversation, I think you called him. You called him the world's best 500 minute runner. But I think you called him the Scottish something. I can't quite remember what it was. Oh, I, I don't remember. I honestly, when I'm talking about Josh, I don't really speak out my ass. So and none of
1: those things get retained. Uh, but I mean, shit, he's on my shirt. So this is one of my favorite shirts.
0: So, um, so yeah. your bond, bond with him, uh, David, obviously is is great. And from that relationship, the Sit and Kick podcast was born. What yeah. I want to ask you is what's the craziest story you can think of that comes to mind from the locker of yours and Josh's time together? Um, From like podcasting? or from life anything just a little, anything um <laughs> what's the story? Well, a- story that you go josh fuck do you remember when that happened
1: <laughs> <laughs> well well we, we I, i'm not going to disclose a whole well yeah 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 um few things um from a podcast perspective we got we got some pretty ins inside details on I'm not going to say which outfit it was because it was just one of our guests. So I'll make you listen to every single episode. Um, we had one of our guests on the episode. That's a, that's a world champion. So there's a, there's a hint for you go into contract details. Oh, like, nice. and it was sick. But then afterwards had to delete all of it because I was oh. like, obviously like, I, but, but it's like, I wasn't going to post that. Cause I knew like, that's an NDA. Like that's a full violation of this company was offering this much, this, this is how much I got. This is, and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's like, whoop, take that out. So that was crazy to hear. Um, and I felt really sad about my financial position at that point. Um, but man, with Josh, it's like the cool, I, I would say the, the funnest, funnest. I don't know if that's the word. Uh, I, I have a lot of stories with Josh. Um, and, and they're, they're really, uh, nostalgic too, because I'm not really making memories right now with them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see them every day. And I really cherish that friendship and I, and I don't, take it for granted kind of what he became for me in those four years that I was with him. Cause he really, really like set the tone for who and what I wanted to be as a competitor. And I hated him in college, which I'm sure you, you picked up on in the podcast, but um, well, one story. So Josh after Tokyo, like FaceTime me, my, well, I'll just do like a little bit of a series of my favorite memories to make it quick. Um, one of my, my favorite memory with Josh is, I was in Montana and we were going to pick up my dog Alfie, not the, not the track guy, but we named our dog Alfie, not after him at all. So all don't that after, all us. <laughs> yeah, after you guys, just such a big fans. Um, and I remember that that was, it was the day of the Tokyo final. And I was on my run and Josh FaceTimed me and he was like getting ready to go to the medal ceremony. And like, I was like tearing up and like one of my proudest, and I got chills just now. One of my proudest moments in the sport came from that call. And from that moment with Josh, like, seeing how successful he could be was is like god that and then for him to call me like I'm, I'm sure he called other athletes too but that was that's a shared moment that i I will cherish forever because that that he, he wants to win mm-hmm. he wants to win more than anything I believe he can win but that was the first step forward in him being able to stand on top of the podium and I, I was so thankful to be a part of that and and kind of experience that selfishly because that's what athletes kill for is to be in that position. And in a in a way, felt like I won a little bit with him in that scenario because there was a lot riding on him and he and he pulled through. And so that's like my top memory. But um when it comes to celebrating, I feel like we we go pretty good. Um I threw a good celebration birthday party for him um after Tokyo. We did a blue moon party. So I got a blue moon keg and we had a bunch of friends and we, we threw a good rager, um, and that wasn't like the great one. But for context, then when like one of our teammates, Brandon Kitter, got married in Ohio, all the team flew out to Ohio to go to the wedding. And I don't know where or how it ended with Josh and I passing around a bottle of Jameson to you know to end it all. But there's just I have some hilarious reels uh, and photos on my phone of him and I just bad and like we we get out of the car. Josh yaks a bit. I, I, I literally get out of the car and I said all for one. And I throw up with Josh just because, oh, you know, absolutely. I was like, I want to do this too. <laughs> and and I guess in in a way, this is, this is, this is a full circle moment for me. So I, when, when Josh did that, I said all for one or one for all. And I threw up with him. And then the next series of photos of us laughing and on the asphalt and Josh in a kilt and his kilt totally flown up. So like <laughs> it awesome. And, but one of my favorite men uh, you might have heard the story in a podcast but it's it was with a uh, we had the podcast with Nikki Hilt, um and in that episode I talked about uh being a pool fool I think that was the episode with them um so my first summer with well a few things my first summer with Josh yeah So you talk maybe talk about Josh and I'll go on a rampage but I mean I love the guy uh my first summer with Josh I room with him in Leuven I meet him uh, abroad when we were racing in Europe and he gets to the hotel. You know how hotels are in Europe? Super small. Yeah. So our beds are practically touching. He gets in there and he goes, mate, what the hell? We got to buy our own things from Brooks? I go, and I'm not going to try to do a Scottish accent because I know this is probably more of a UK podcast. And I, I, and I, you know, I'm drinking tea. I'm wearing my Mercedes hat. Like I'm trying to be in with you guys. I'm not trying to, you know, offend anybody. We write the
0: effort.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so Josh gets in and he goes, mate, we gotta buy our own gear. I go, no, you get a gear code. He's like, I didn't get a gear code. I was like, email Julie, get, get a gear code. Emails Julie, gets his gear code. Mate, we get four thousand dollars for gear. I go, the hell? I got two thousand. <laughs> and he goes, what? I go, I got two thousand. He's like, mate, you gotta check. You gotta make sure that's okay. Like, get a, get your other gra- get your other couple grand. So then I email, and they go, oh, it's all dependent on who signs and when when we have the funds available. I signed before Josh, but Josh got double my gear allotment. I was pissed and then later when we were in vegas uh for like a, a brooks event we go up to this club after our mile race which was it was in the fall it literally didn't mean anything we're in this club this is the Dreas nightclub in vegas and we're like up there hanging out you know there's pools on the back deck um someone takes off josh's glasses and throws him into the pool And like, it was like a little punk prank, you know, like rookie guy, like, oh, Josh, your glasses are in the pool. And I'm like, hey, that's not funny. I was like, all for one or one for all, kind of the same way that me throwing up with Josh at a wedding. I take my own glasses off and I throw them in the pool. (laughs) And they're like, why did you do that? I go, hazing, got to be together. I guess I wanted to be hazed in a way. Not saying that we were getting hazed, like it was like toxic, but I I, I was like, I want to be involved. So I threw my own glasses in. So then Josh is like, mate, you got to go get those. I go, okay, I'll go get them. So I get down to my skimps. And I, I get into the water. I grab the glasses. This big old bouncer comes like, all right, you got to go.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm like, what? And he's like, you got to go. You're in the pools. I go, what do you mean? There's literally a sign that says, do not get in the pools. So I get in the pools wow. and then they're like, oh, can we just take this team photo first? And uh, the guy's like, no, he has to leave now. So then literally I get escorted out of the club and I go down and – I get kicked out of the club. I get my wristband revoked. But then later the club opens to like the general public and we're like down there and Josh is like hyping me up. He's like, "Mate, you're going to get back in. You're going to get back in." He like gives me like a long sleeve, changes my outfit like, "Let's go. Let's go." And then we get in. He's like, "It's all about confidence." So then I just remember getting escorted into the club secretly with Josh and the other guys on the team. Like and we get in and then we just had this absolute rager because it was an actual nightclub. Um and what I what I recall most about Josh is he's a very all in guy. So he's all in on friendships, he's all in on projects, he's all in on athletics. And when you can find someone that goes all in on a friendship like that, it means a whole lot to the athletes or friends that do like myself, like highs or lows struggle with things and things like that, because he he had no reason to help me through some of the things that he did. Yeah. Um, but he was there. And, you know, he, he gave me these flower pots or these like flower beds at his home in New Mexico, we bought a home, brilliant home, allowed me to You know make a garden dave's garden i was going to plant sunflowers well i never ended up getting around to it because i'm not going to albuquerque anymore but he sent me a photo of the flower pots and he goes mate he's like what happened what happened to my maintenance crew you know so god yeah yeah it's uh it's 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 a friendship that i'll cherish forever and and i'm thankful that it still exceeds being sponsored together like him being in my wedding is really important and I think for my, my bachelor party, I'm going to do uh, a two-day backpacking trip in the mountain range that I grew up in. Um, and I want to bring all my best friends from life kind of back home with me to show them where I grew up, show them the mountains. And I texted Josh like, hey, have you ever packed a tent and gone backpacking and stayed the night on the wilderness? He, and he's like, no. I go, perfect. So I think that'll be my next favorite memory with him is is seeing him put up his own tent, seeing him hike in, draw his own water from the lake filter it you know like I'm, I'm excited to see that man in such an unfamiliar element where he has no control other than just learning from the land so it'll be cool
0: yeah we've got a sequel of broke back mountain on our hands let's go yeah i mean I, I don't know if we'll document it like that but hey who knows bachelor parties can get crazy exactly you don't, you, you don't know where it's going to end. so let's talk some let's talk some times let's talk some performances though because you know you are yeah. running that's that that's what you're on the planet to do right now Let's go through your range. So 148-800, 335-15, 355-miler, 744-3K, which we spoke about earlier in the chat, and 1326-5K. But this last year, you made a transition to the steeplechase. Was that something that you planned out with Pete as soon as you moved over, or is it something you've always considered doing? Always
1: considered doing from 2018 on, like if you read my book, You'll see, like I spoke with like Jerry Schumacher and Danny Mackey, and like Steeple Chase was in that conversation. Um, and so it's always been something in my mind. We planned to do Steeple my senior year of college, but I ran so well. Like my 148 is from college. Um, I ran 148 and 337 in college, and my coach is like, "We're not touching the Steeple. You you have the resume needed. Like we're not gonna we're not trying to add anything else. No risk." So um, I ended up not doing it then. And then there was a plan with Danny to kind of get onto the Steeple, but it just never came together. And so when I was talking to Pete, he was like, well, where do you see yourself? What do you want to do? And I go, well, like I've ran good 15s. You know, I've made finals, never made teams. Like I I want a steeple. And he goes, you want a steeple? I go, yeah. He's like, okay. I was like, what do you mean? Okay. He's like, let's do it. I go, oh, ah, okay. Well, that was, I thought it was going to have to be like this huge convincing type thing. So kind of where we're at with the steeple is like, you, you look at my steeple and thankfully you didn't save my time for the steeple because it's not, it's nothing like world-class by any means. And, but the, what I love about this approach that we're doing with Pete is we're very, very methodical about it where I'm very impatient and I want to just, I want to be good. Like I can run, I think I could run three thirty five tomorrow. Right. Which is going to be front end. Like I'll be not, that's still not quote unquote world-class, but that's at least winning races at most meets right now. Yeah. But running eight fifty four in the steeple, like I I won my first steeple race last week here in Portland. That was a, a slower college meet, and I ran like eight fifty seven. But the reason is is because Pete's like like I was entered for the sound running meet where you had like Hillary Bore, uh, Bernard Keeter, the last two guys to make the Olympic team. Uh, you had Jordy Beamish who ran eight twenty. You had Rook, the American who ran eight seventeen. Um, like I watch and I pay attention to all these things. I was in that race. I was going to the airport. And Pete calls me as I was leaving for the airport. And he goes, hey, are you at the airport yet? I go, no. He's like, let's stay back. I go, what? He's like, let's stay back. We're going to make an audible. And I go, okay. He's like, I think you're, I think your dry barriers have made a lot of progress. And he's like, I think you're good there. He's like, but we need you to continue to progress through your waters. And I don't want you to go down there to get 15th place and around 840, because that doesn't do anything for where we are. What we need you to do is to see barriers and gain confidence of just maintaining momentum as you're building because he's like we're not trying to make the budapest team we're trying to make the paris team yeah and if we were really rushed on time i'd say we go to sound running and we risk it But he's like we cannot risk it because you're healthy you're you're stronger than you've ever been you're putting together better workouts than you've ever been we don't need to put you in a race where 20 guys are trying to run 829 or faster that's not what we're trying to do right now so we audible literally on my way to the airport and i turned around and i unpacked my bag and i raced here i ran 857 but when I got to the meet, Pete stayed back in Portland, and he said he's like, "I need to help you with the technical stuff." So he didn't end up even going to sound running. Where you know, Amos my ran thirteen seventeen or thirteen sixteen. So, so Pete goes, he's like, "David, uh, your first race at Stanford, like literally my steeple progression at Stanford. I hadn't done water jumps until my pre meet, so that was miserable." to experience because like waters were tough as it was. And I didn't know where to focus, didn't know where to stimulate, didn't know where to orient. So that was rough. And then I go to Azusa Pacific uh, 12 days later to race another steeple. This time I'd had a little bit more experience, but Pete's like, do not worry about pace. Just focus on competing. He's like, finish in the top five. That's what you focus on. Don't worry about anything else. So I finished fourth. Then we go to this race where I got pulled from the sound running me. He said, he's like, David, he's like, we're not worried about pace still. Do not worry about running 67s. Win this race. That's all you need to focus on. So I literally sat the whole time. And it, what's so cool about it for me is I was running like 70, 71s for some of the race. It felt painfully slow over barriers. Like I, I was itching to go faster. And I could see Pete on the side. Was like, no, no, like just stay. You're all right. You're all right. And so at the end, like I get beat on the water, but then I have last 120, just competitive edge and, and speed. I like kick to win. Roll the dub. So what's up? Got the dub. Yeah, got the dub. But the thing is, is like, we're, we're really methodical about this process. Like we're not running barn burner steeple chases yet, but I know over more experience and more practice. Like when I went to, um, when I went to Stanford to run the first steeple i ever ran, I had less actual hurdles then I had jumps in that race and I'd never jumped an actual steeple barrier until that race. I would only do regular hurdles. So we kind of threw myself into the fire, into the ring. And for one, I'm thankful because I'm healthy right now, but you still watch people like um, Emma Coburn and um, Val uh, constant in, uh Doha. Emma went down, got tripped and Val hyperextended her knee. The steeple's such a dangerous event that like, I think Pete's ability to not risk things is really well with me because We're not trying to risk it. Like if I were to, so I'm doing the 1500 in LA next weekend at the USATF Grand Prix. If I were, I'm already qualified for USAs. And that's a great thing about it in the 1500. If I were to not run the the US standard in the steeple this year, I still believe I can go to USAs in the 1500 and do some serious, serious damage there. Cause I know where I'm at in training. Yeah. So, so we don't need to press it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, so when you look at my PR, he's like, you have the 148, that was from college. I think I could run faster than that. If I just do more eights, yeah. 335 every year I've ran a second faster. So as long as I keep that trend going, seems like the Olympic standards within reach. Yeah. Um, and then 744 in the 3k, I'm really proud of that one. Cause I hadn't ran a 3k PR in four years. That's the first event that I hadn't PR'd in that I'd ran in ever to not PR, and then my thirteen twenty six was a really cool like battle with Lopez Lamont down to the line, and he ran like thirteen twenty five. And um, the the thirteen twenty six was cool because I raced to win, and I didn't really care about the time. But I was trying to qualify for the Olympic trials in that, and I was the first guy out of that of that Olympic trials five k. So yet, but ended up making the Olympic trials final in the fifteen. Anyhow, so yeah, it's like like I'm saying, like those PRs are also consistently inconsistent in terms of like what's world class and what's not, but. Um, I'm happy with how my story's kind of been told because I think there's a lot left to be written, and that sounds super metaphorical, but that's really kind of how I feel with my PR. It's like that is all baseline for me now.
0: Love that, excellent. And the next question falls nicely into that last comment where you said that you're you feel like you've got more to give, and there's a lot more of your story to be written for for our listeners that really value advice from professional athletes that we have on the show. You're an athlete that's been Division II NCA double uh, champion many times. You're now pro athlete from Brooks to Nike, and you're really at the pinnacle of the sport in America and trying to make that jump to be world class. What are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way that we could pass on to our listeners for them to benefit in their own running, regardless of their ability?
1: Yeah, I would say that... um... I'll kind of pair it with some advice that I got from Marta Penfridas, who's on the Brooks team. She's a two-time Olympian, NCAA 50 meter champion. Uh, I think she made the Olympic semifinals in Tokyo. And she told me, and she told me this advice personally, and I think this is a really good advice to also share outwardly. Um, she said, "David, she's like you're. You think you found your ceiling? You're in a shack, a really small shack, and you can." T- touch the roof and you're like, I'm here. I've made, like, not like I've made it, but like, this is as good as I can be. Like, she's like, but that is, that's a false ceiling. Like if you were to punch through this little shack and you were to take away the boards and you were to look even bigger, she's like, you are in a cathedral and the roof is very, very far above you, but you have to believe that you can make it through this little shack to be into the cathedral, something along those lines. And so what I, what I, how I translate that to advice to any runner is like I'm twenty seven and I'm running faster than I was when I was eighteen. And if you're eighteen years old and you're what trying to consider whether or not you're gonna get better, you might be you might have a false ceiling on yourself. You might not know what's behind those boards if you open them up. You might see a beautiful mosaic, you might be in a cathedral. Maybe you find a roof that's a little bit further, but you still have more to gain and more to give. So my advice to the to, to young people is there's an opportunity for everyone. And this sport is so great because you can do it for as long as you want to do it. This is the weirdest sport in the world where there is professionalism and amateurism in the same location. High school kids and college athletes and pros racing at the same time. You don't see a high school player, like you don't see Bronny James, um, you don't see a college athlete and, and LeBron James playing in the same game together. Those are all different types of developmental athletes. They're all in different stages of the career. So my advice to the youngest, youngest and people that are developing is like, stay true to yourself and just continue to grow because you will get better the more you go, the more you do in terms of experience. And I like, I've been, st- I'm I'm in this stage now. I like my steeplechase is new to me. And so I'm like, I don't know how far I can go. I don't know how high my ceiling is. And my fiance, she said, she's like, David, how many 1500 meters have you ran? How many steeplechase have you ran? She's like, you ran th- three steeple races and you ran a hundred more than that, 1500s. So, and now, and, and so back to the, the growth aspect and, and the advice to the athletes, it's like, you might apply for a university or you might apply for an NCAA school and you might get turned down, but if you apply for another one and you get accepted and you go, that might've been the spot that you needed to be in and change is hard and change is scary and getting your, the door closed on you, me firsthand, getting the door closed on you is, is frightening, but change is so good. Um, and can help you develop. so don't don't be deceived by a false ceiling I guess is is the end of the story whether that be young career old career like there there may always be something lurking behind the boards. so that's that's what I hope I can can instill in people and I say that to myself too because that's what I believe in for my own career.
0: great advice that is great advice and that finishes nicely uh on a very very interesting. Conversation. I think that's going to resonate. That last point is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners. Um, and I think everyone can take that advice. You never know what's behind the, behind the next door or through that ceiling. So if you are listening and you're thinking that you've reached the ceiling, do what David says and smash through it. But okay. um, what I want to do to finish off, David, I want to finish with a quick fire round. We do this for all of our guests. I'm going to fire five questions at you. And I just want you to say the first thing that comes into your mind. All right? All right. Right. If you had a magic wand, what's one thing that you'd change in athletics? <clears throat> uh, money investment. Love that. Yep, yeah, that's fair. I don't need to ask too much more on that because that makes complete sense. We are all in agreement with that. What's the best thing about being a professional athlete? Uh, you don't feel guilty when you play video games. <laughs> that's the first time someone says that and i love that what's what's your go-to video game um god this is gonna be i mean
1: my go-to video game i mean if i were to sit down and play a competitive game which i don't do often given like i haven't played all week given uh I, i i dabble around in league of legends it's funny because i play And no Lyles plays. So him and I have actually synced up. And I'm on the West Coast. He's on the East Coast. We've played together. And we've done tournaments together. And it's pretty pretty sick. Um, I'm more of like a play with my friends kind of guy. I don't like sitting alone playing games. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. What's the worst thing about being a professional athlete? Uh, Having a lot of time on your hands and feeling like you need to play video games.
0: (laughs) I'm seeing a trend here. Okay. Yeah. What's a harsh truth the running world needs to hear? Uh, It's not all glam and glitter. It's grit and determination. Yep. Amen to that. And finally to end on or off the track in 10 years time, what's one thing that you would have liked to have achieved in your life? Um, Attend a
1: Olympic games, whether that be athlete or broadcasting or media.
0: Brilliant. That's a great goal. And I'm pretty confident that you're going to hit that goal, hopefully. Yes. Hopefully. I didn't say fan, so hopefully I'm not even going as a fan. Hopefully I'm going to either work it or run it. So, Fingers crossed, mate. That has been an absolute pleasure, mate. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving us your time, man. And I am very, very excited for your next race. Best of luck in LA. Cool. In Thank you. Appreciate that. Good, bro. I'll catch you down the road. Thank you for joining us this week for another episode of The Running Podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things running, the highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and everything in between. Thank you to our guest, David Ribic, for his time today. And if you have enjoyed today's listen, please do give us a review and head over to our Instagram at Trackster to keep up to date with what we're up to. Now, in just a few days' time this coming weekend, it's the night of the 10K PBs event in London, one of the hottest events on the calendar over here in the UK. Which ain't very hard, is it? Let's be honest. But I'll be on the mic on the infield catching interviews with athletes, coaches, fans of the sport and basically anyone who's half cut up for a bit of a chat. You'll be able to catch all of this content on our Instagram page and in longer form on our YouTube channel too. I've been Lloyd, your host for today. I'll catch you down the road for a run and a chat. But in the meantime, have a great week, runners.